to every generation. The broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. And the last time we taught the message, and it was titled, Accept Him or Reject Him. And it was pretty neat because Jesus, you know, He's... We're talking 2,000 years ago, half a world away. It's my job to kind of go through all the different customs. Jesus is, you know, going to the synagogue. His ministry's officially starting to kick off. And He actually starts to read Scripture that was codified and accepted by paleographers uh, for centuries. And he speaks about himself, right? How Isaiah speaks about him coming and all the things he would do. So he reads that in the synagogue. And basically, he starts this public ministry. uh, And basically, whether it's the people back then or today, listen, you could make, I think you, we probably make millions of decisions in our lifetime, even simple things like, do I want to eat now or do I want to eat an hour from now? Um, you start to compound them together. You have tens of millions of decisions that you make with your brain in a whole lifetime. However, this one decision for Jesus Christ really depends or really determines where we spend eternity. So today the message is titled, Fishing or Fishing? Not P-H like the scams, but F-I-S-H-I-N-G. And you can either fish physically, and I've tried that, Um, I'm just very hyper, so I don't do it for very long. Uh, (laughs) But what Jesus was trying to do was use that as a metaphor for fishing. And back then on the Sea of Galilee, they used these sort of large drag nets that they would cast from the boats and catch a multitude of fish. And what he was trying to do is use a metaphor of fishing to catch people into the kingdom of heaven. So very deep... um, God's plans are always the best. God is just a master at how to do everything. And it's very important to know that in that culture, let's go back 2,000 years, half a world away, not a lot of people were educated. Many were poor, many were illiterate. So what God did was he used metaphors. The parables were metaphors. So everybody could understand, you know, reaping, uh, harvesting, marriage ceremonies. And Jesus used all of those things that even if somebody was illiterate, they could understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven because you don't need to read and write to understand those things. So today we're going to look at the message in five parts. And um, we're going to jump into Luke 5. I'm only taking 11 verses today. It's very powerful. It says, Now so it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him, Simon Peter, to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, for a catch of fish. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. 
And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right, who later also become disciples, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So one out of five is the first disciples are called. When you take the, the Gospels together, um, I have a really great Bible. It's, I have many Bibles, but one called the Chronological Bible, where you see all of the Gospels and really all of Old and New Testament put in chronological order. And what we know when we read this is that Jesus already had an encounter with these fishermen. But they see something so incredible that they, they know it's the Messiah and they follow him. Verses 1 through 11 here are unique to Luke's gospel, which means they're not repeated in any of the other three. Now, when we covered Luke 4, we know that Lake Gennesaret is also understood as the Sea of Galilee. It's there today. It hasn't changed. So let's just go, let's picture the scene, verses 1 through 3. Simon, disciple Peter, and his associates are fishing all night and catch nothing. Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he uses Peter's boat to get a little distance from the crowd so he can project his voice. If you understand, I know many people have gone to Israel and have seen the acoustics in that area. You don't need amplification. The way the, the mountains are set up and, the, and the, the highs and the lows and the reverberation, right? So there's good acoustics there. So Jesus kind of pushes out a little bit into the water. He starts to speak, projects his voice, and everyone is able to hear him. Sometimes dozens of people, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands. In addition, we know uh, that there are issues when you have many come together to hear, even today, right, with concerts, stampede effect. So Jesus needs to push out so he can project so everybody's not on top of him. And it, and it is less likely to cause a stampede with the listeners. So it's pretty neat stuff here. A few things going on simultaneously. These dejected fishermen are cleaning their equipment and probably getting ready to sleep while Jesus is teaching. They're, they're, you ever do that? You, I actually, there was a lady who, she moved out of state, but she said, I hope you don't mind, Pastor Joe. I crochet while I'm listening to you. That's just the way my brain works. So you can imagine the disciples cleaning the nets and listening to Jesus at the same time. Now, I get it because I used to work midnight shift, and boy, there was nothing I wanted more when that 8 o'clock <laughs> came around than to just go home and get in the bed and sleep. So this is probably the mindset, and I love to pull out the flavor of the Scripture, right? You can extrapolate very easily what's going on in the minds of these people. Verses 4 through 5. It says, Now when he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, so he's teaching, he stops, he turns to Simon, and he says, Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon Peter answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, 
At your word, I will let down the net. So four through five, number two out of five, second part is it gets personal. Jesus now is diverting from teaching the multitudes, the masses. He turns to the fishermen, Peter specifically. Maybe he was the head guy, right? James and John were his associates. Maybe, you know, somebody had to call the shots. Maybe it was Peter. I, I get the impression just from reading the entire Bible that Peter had a little bit of a type A personality. You know, he was a go-getter. He got things done. Sometimes he spoke out of turn, but um, I do that sometimes, and I, I definitely get what, what's going on with him. And he tells, the Lord Jesus tells Peter, a professional fisherman, how to catch fish. Think about that one. Let that sink in for a moment as we start to go through this. Well, if you understand fishing in that area, this would have been counterintuitive to catch fish because there was a reason they went at night. There was a reason the way the the lake is heated versus it's cooled, where the fish are, where the fish aren't. So when you look at, listen, they had their opportunity and they caught nothing. Now it's time to go to sleep and hopefully later on at night try it again. So time of day, the tide, the exhaustion of the crew meant in the world that they were going to catch zero fish again. Zero plus zero equals zero. (laughs) But God. They caught an abundance of fish. And I speak from experience that when I say that when the Lord calls you to do things, when you're walking with Him for some time, and it does seem at times counterintuitive because God's ways are not our ways. He kind of asks you to do something and it seems like it just doesn't make any sense. But then you see the fruit of what gets caught. You know, and then when the miracle comes, we can say, because people tend to take credit for the things they do. It reminds me of Gideon. He had 32,000 soldiers. He was going to fight 135,000 Midianites. And he was the underdog. However, God said, you've got to start whittling your soldiers down. There's too many of them. And Gideon, on the Lord's directive, whittles his soldiers down to 300 versus 135,000. And God said specifically, and I'm paraphrasing, so when you get the victory, you'll know it wasn't you. You'll know it was me. Right? Because we can be prideful, can't we? So this is good stuff. Peter starts out helping the Lord, providing a boat, a little bit of a spectator. Then the Lord turns and speaks directly to Peter, probably something he wasn't expecting. He basically says to him, Peter, step it up. You know, and we could be that way, and I know for me, when I started coming to a Bible-teaching church, I loved the messages, I loved the people, and then I felt like the Lord was kind of speaking to me, do something, step it up. And that could be for somebody here today. What does that look like when God calls you to step it up? Right? could be something small, but you're stepping it up. He says, Peter says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your will, I will let down the nets. You know, sometimes we want to be obedient to God, but we're just not feeling it. That's why I love the Gospels, because it didn't paint Peter and James and John and Matthew, and he, it didn't paint them as perfect people. I would have never got into ministry if I thought that a requirement was perfection, because I know I'm not perfect. So I love to see the flaws in these people who are just like us. And listen, it's okay, we're human. You know, sometimes the Christian walk is more of an action, obedience, than it is a feeling. 
Do you think Peter needed to say to Jesus? He calls him Master. He calls him Lord. He's God the Son. Do you think Peter needed to say to Jesus, uh, you know, all night we've been doing this and we caught nothing? Did you know that, Jesus? Did he expect Jesus to turn around and say, oh, Peter, that was a fact that I totally missed. You know what? Go home and take a nap. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? And we do that sometimes, don't we? I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes God shows me something, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out. And, and then sometimes, it, I'm just honest, I get frustrated. I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. If I had a dime for every time I said to God, I don't understand, I'd be wealthy. But, you know, you, what we preach from this pulpit is honesty. You know, a relationship with, with God is supposed to be honest. Does it make any sense to, to, to try to manipulate God and say things to kind of get him off the scent? No. The Lord knew that they toiled all night, but Peter felt he needed to tell him that. And sometimes we need to tell God things, and that's okay. Maybe Peter had conflicting emotions. Maybe he thought to himself, how am, I going to send the, how am I going to sell this to the rest of the crew? You ever think of these things? Right? Peter's got to go back and say, all right, boys, <laughs> let's get the boats back in the water. Let's get the nets. Let's do the circle thing that we do. Drop the nets. This is what we have to do. You know, I, I don't know sometimes that we don't, we, are we any different from the animal kingdom? You know, I have two rescue dogs and... The one is older. She's the gray one that you're going to see in the picture in a minute. Aren't they cute? And they know how to make themselves comfortable. That's the couch, right? Look what they do with the blanket. They're on top of each other. But the, the one on the bottom, Ellie, she, she gets a reward at the end of the night. We're downstairs in the living room where the family is, and that's where she wants to be. But she's getting up there in, in years, in age, and... At the end of the night, we get her to go up to the second floor where our bedroom is, and there's a little doggy bed with blankets. And I say, Ellie, do you want to get tucked in? And she perks her head up, and she does this weird thing. She starts to get off the couch because she knows there's a reward. She wants to be with her pack, if you know anything about dogs, at the end of the day. And as she's getting off the couch, she growls at me. Now, an onlooker might say, you, you have a vicious dog. My dog's never bitten anybody. But... What she's doing is she wants to, with her body, obey, but with her, the rest of her, she's voicing her displeasure. It hurts. My bones are old. You see what I'm saying? So I kind of laugh, and I think of Peter, and I think of myself. You know, sometimes we, we want to do the right thing. We want to serve the Lord, but our flesh is saying to us, not now. And I'm going to tell you, you can ask my wife, when I don't get enough sleep, she's going to shake her head. She already did it before I even said it. If I don't get enough sleep, I get grumpy. My flesh is like, I just want to hit the pillow, man. I just want to put the earplug in and go to bed. And, you know, I don't, can't say everything I know was going on in Peter's head, but it's only two verses, but there's a lot of power in these two verses. He says, or the word toiled, now, I looked that up in the Greek because I have a Greek lexicon and, you know, the Koine Greek. The word for toiled has a deeper meaning. It can mean fatigued. You ever been fatigued? It can mean wearied, wearied and fatigued. And I've got to tell you something. Sometimes God can do his greatest work through us when, when we're, we're tapped out. Because you know what? It isn't in our strength, is it? You know, the Lord knew these things. 
You know, I can't tell you how many times I might have had uh, health issues or personal tragedy, uh, and I, it was a Sunday morning. And I'm like, oh, how am I going to make it up there? But the Lord does his thing. The Lord carries me. Fatigued, wearied, out of gas, tapped out, no energy left, and then the miracle can happen. You know, I have this sort of analogy of a car wash when it comes to serving God. And my food for the soul people are, it's being headed by senior citizens. I have a nickname for them. I call them super seniors. And the, op- the operation they do downstairs, I mean, they have a lot of people helping them, but, you know, I bet, I got to ask them at the end of service, are you guys tired Friday night after all those people and all that stimuli? And uh, you just probably sleep really good after that. But the Lord carries them. And I, I kind of make the analogy of a car wash. You know, you go, you, you drive, and listen, we have some law enforcement here in the building, so you want to pay attention. You want to have 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, you know. You, you want to pay attention to the laws. Your brain is moving and doing a lot of things when you drive. But when you get into the car wash and you put those front tires up onto the, the rollers, what do they tell you, right? Put it in neutral. Don't touch the steering wheel. Don't touch the gas. Don't touch the brakes. And let the car wash do its job. Or you're going to mess it up. But then when it kind of kicks you back off and you feel the lurch, you, you, know, you touch the shifter and, and the gas and the, and the steering wheel, right? And all those things. So I say sometimes when we serve the Lord, it's almost like being in that car wash spiritually. God's going to do his thing. And the less that we interfere, <laughs> the better it turns out. I have to say this too. Um, professionals. And we have a lot of professionals here. I know it's New Jersey 2022. And if you're still a professional in your field, you've got grit. Between dealing with COVID and inflation and all the things that we deal with, crime and everything is changing. You're still a profession and professional in New Jersey 2022. You got some grit. We have to be careful about our own self-importance. We do. You know, we have to because, listen, Peter was a professional, and his, his voicing of his concerns was the fact that he knew what he was doing, right? You got this carpenter telling me, you know what I'm saying? He, but he knew it was something miraculous. He, he maybe didn't have the whole God the Son thing figured out. Uh, and I don't know, maybe he was put off a little bit at first. And, and we can be that way as professionals, can't we? I'm going to talk about an experience, many experiences I've had as a professional where the Lord was trying to guide me to do things. And when I did what he called me to do, what he wanted me to do, there was a great catch of fish. Not literally, but um, spiritually. So, you know, I, I've been thinking about being a police officer for 25 years. You, you know, a few years, several years into being a police officer, I, I received Christ, I got saved. And um, I've got to be honest with you, I was young, I was in great shape, I was so excited to be a police officer and when I would watch the news and see all the stuff about crime I wanted to catch every criminal and I caught a lot of them but as time went on God kind of shared something with me like my philosophy changed I still did my job did some high profile things that were in the paper and such got awards for it but what what he was showing me as well is that if you can reach people and you can really reach them into their soul and lead them more towards God well, guess what? They get closer to God, they're less likely to commit crimes and have criminal behavior. 
And it's an amazing thing because crime, and there's always going to be a need for police officer and soldiers in this world, in this fallen creation. There's always going to be a need. It's a revolving door, the recidivism rate, all that kind of stuff. But when you are able to catch a few fish and show them the right way, that starts to change, right? So you, there was uh, one couple that they were always getting into it, and we would always be called to the house. And, you know, I, I shared with them and... You know, they'd come to the church a few times, and some of the younger officers, because I was a training officer, they'd say, Joe D., what did you do? We don't get calls for that couple anymore. And this went on for a long time. And I said, this is what Jesus can do. You know, he changes people. So it's an exciting thing. Verse 6, 6 through 7, continuing on. It says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. These were like these... We think of uh, sitting on a dock and, and, you know, casting it into whatever. If my terms are off, I'm not much of a fisherman. Forgive me. Um, plunk into the water and, you know, I got one. You pull. No, this was, this was something they still practice today. As a matter of fact, when the Sea of Galilee, uh, when there's a drought and the levels drop, they find ships. They're like the mast is sticking up. And they're able to unearth them and put them in museums. So you get to see, listen, the Bible's real. Uh, there's museums of these, these rudimentary boats that they would use. So they would use more of these sort of dragnet type of things, and, and they, each, they would kind of do it in a circle, and the boats would circle, and, and they would drop it and then wait, and then they would pull the, the nets up, and it would have all these fish in it. So pretty, pretty interesting thing. Um, and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners. They probably whistled in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they, begin, they began to sink. So three out of five is the result of obedience to God. Now, it's quite possible. There is a theory. I'd like to say I came up with it, but I didn't. I stole it from somebody else. And the theory is that what Jesus did was he had them catch all these fish because the men were going to put a pause on their fishing business and follow Christ. So Peter was married probably some of the other guys were married maybe they had some kids and this abundance of fish number one was to uh, i guess dry them smoke them um, you know use them for food and then the rest they would sell at the market so when the men were gone they could sustain the household right this is what god does where god guides god provides if god is calling you to do something he's going to make provisions things are going to happen and you're going to say wow it's not a coincidence. God's hand was definitely in this. Um, and the question is, do we trust God enough to follow him? Now, you have to be careful with this because false teachers, especially in the prosperity movement, will take this and they will say, well, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have the mansion. Just keep pressing him like God is Santa Claus or a genie. You rub the bottle. That's false teaching. Right? He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to you know, throw wealth on you for no reason, but just because you're a spoiled king, king's kid. It doesn't work that way. Um, you, know, you, you have to make the connections here. Because at the end, you see that they, I, maybe I'm just too analytical. At the end, they drop everything and they follow Jesus. Well, what about the tons of fish that are now on the seashore? They just did, left them to rot? Of course not. They, they used that for their family to continue... The, the household while the men were away with Jesus. Pretty neat stuff. So an abundant catch of fish. I'm going to share with you my catch of fish. 
And I'm not saying, because I'm not always obedient, because I'm a human. Sometimes I miss the signs. God's trying to show me something, and I'm not, I'm not paying attention. But I actually, I'm taking my phone out, I asked permission to share this from somebody who's a friend of mine who I love dearly. But it was very interesting. So let me talk about my catch of fish. Several years ago, I was in the station. I was in uniform. It was late. My shift was ending. Um, and my job was to process the prisoners, fingerprint them, photograph them, do the reports. So they bring in a guy. It's late. I want to go home. I'm tired. <laughs> I want to go to sleep. They bring a guy in. I'm not feeling it, but I'm doing my job, right? So I'm, I'm fingerprinting him, and he's totally quiet, not saying a word. I would imagine he wants to be there less than I want to be there, okay? Let's just say that. So out of nowhere, I, it is, it's a thought in my head. I don't know. I can't explain it 100%. Christians have debated this for thousands of years. But it's like the Lord said to me, tell him about me. So, you know, I, I kind of made a face. I was like, or is that my own thought? Well, how could it be my own thought? Because I really don't want to be here. Then it happened two more times. So I'm like, all right. I start talking to the guy. Hey, how's it going? Talking about his life, his family. And then I said, I started talking about the Lord. And he's listening. Not saying a lot. He's poker face. Um, anyway, I send him home. He goes home after it's all over. I give him my phone number. He calls me the next morning. Now, this guy, if you saw him at the time, he was, he was young. He was jacked. He looked real tight. And uh, he's on the phone with me. He's emotional. He's watching. They told me he wasn't going to be able to come, but he was going to watch. He was just totally emotional, and he said, you know, I went to college. I grew up in the Lord. He said, I went to college, and I found another way. And he, I can't, could tell he wasn't very happy. Um, he says, my mother and my family have been praying for me to come back to Christ. He goes, and then I run into you. It was powerful. So my wife is great. She was a great police officer's wife, a great pastor's wife. So I get off the phone. I said, hey, honey, um, yeah, the guy I brought in last night, he's coming to men's group at our house next week. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the, it's just wild. It's just wild stuff. Now, the story gets even more interesting, and this is how I know it was from God, how I know it was a miracle, is because he was falsely accused, but not by the police, too much television, by another civilian falsely accused. He didn't do it. And me and the detective started looking into this and we're like, you know, something's, something's not right here. So the detective's doing the interviews. So we start to, to, to work on the case and realize, you know what? He didn't do it. So we go to the prosecutor and then eventually go to the judge and they drop all the charges. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, that's powerful. And I, I'm going to say that he can talk to me later or text me. He might be texting me now. But I'm going to say that based on his background, I don't know that he always had a favorable opinion of the police. And I said, brother, I'm not going to say his name. He said I could use his name. I said, this is the Lord. You have to see the He eventually becomes a Christian. Incredible. And he's been my friend for almost 20 years. So let me leave you this one last thing. Ten days ago, he sends me this text. And he says, quote, from him to me recently, he says, my remembrance of being in lockup that night was well worth it. Now listen, people enjoy going to Greece and, and Paris. He's telling me about the wonderful time he had in police lockup. But you know what it, it did? It took a, a bad situation and something that he didn't deserve 
And God used it to bring him full circle. Now when I hear him, he texts me. He goes, yeah, I was sharing my faith with this person and that person. Man, I'm so happy. You know, I could have ignored it and gone home. We have to be sensitive to what God is sharing with us. Amen? So, continuing on, verse 8 and 9. It says, once, that was my catch of fish, by the way. Didn't do anything for me physically or financially, but, it, it, but I, still remember, I still remember these stories, and, and even recently, very favorably, because it was a work of God. Some things are just more important than money. People get money, and they get stuff, and they get toys, adult, you know, whatever, the new car, the bigger house, and this stuff wears off after a while. The things of God, they last throughout this life and into eternity. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Now think of the type of person Simon Peter was. Saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Four out of five is realizing the true nature of God. When we see God for who he is, when we have an experience with God, we realize how we fall short. We realize biblical principles, whether we're a theologian or not, that we're sinners. In Isaiah 6, he sees this incredible vision of God. And, and Bible scholars debate, was he actually physically there? It, it, it appears that that was the case. And, and God uh, appears to him. Isaiah 6, and he says, when he sees the living God, Isaiah says, it's colloquial terms, vernacular back then. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. Today's translation, I'm toast, right? Um, Pastor Paul has been going through the book of Job, and uh, I really enjoyed the, the last one. I enjoyed all of them, but uh, Job is complaining to God and just pressing God and just, just talking smack, right? And God shows him. He reveals his glory to Job. And basically, and I'm paraphrasing, God wants to know what Job's response is to, the, to God. And Job says, pretty much, I have nothing to say. <laughs> From this point, I'll keep my mouth shut. I love the fact that Job came before me because when I pray, I'll sometimes pray and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not trying to be Job, but I don't get it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Bear with me, Lord. Help me to understand this. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament, he said, I am the least among the apostles. I'm the lowest. And I would say for myself, God uses me in spite of me. When we truly have an experience with the living God, by comparison, we realize that we're inadequate. And again, fishermen, think about, um, I, I don't watch it a lot. I saw it a few times. I just find it intriguing. You get a lot of interesting things from like real-life documentaries. Yeah, who has ever watched that show, Deadliest Catch? Oh my goodness, I could never do that job. I'd, I'd be thrown up all the time. I'm not a, a boat fan, but it's rough, rough seas, freezing cold, wet and cold, in injuries at seas, having to sleep on that boat. So fishermen were, are tough today, seafarers, and they were tough back then, tough people. And what does Peter do? He's on his knees in front of Jesus Christ. What, what was his, his sinfulness? We don't know. Was he, did he, I don't know. I'm not going to even surmise, so let's continue on with that. Uh, verse 10, last two verses. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, 
From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Five out of five is God wants to use us for his glory. And you know what's sad? In some ministries, they just have the wrong idea. They want to be used. It's just a weird thing. Um, they glorify themselves in their ministries. Uh, and, and that's wrong. And God will cause those ministries to fall. I was looking at something. I was, my wife and I <laughs> try to find stuff on TV that's not political, like the Food Channel. But there was an advertisement for a church a lot of people know it. It's a very big ministry, Christian organization called Hillsong. And there's, uh, sadly enough, there's several documentaries. One's on, documentaries. One's on Discovery, and it's Hillsong, a megachurch exposed. So many scandals, so many disgusting things that people did. What they did was they, they made a movement to attract young people, and they, they sort of raked in a lot of money. And the music, people, be careful. There's a difference between worship and music. Oh yeah, big difference. It was all about the music. People were pumped. They felt the chills. But nobody could really worship. It was, let me tell you something, it was an incredible production. And then the scandal started happening. You know, the preaching from the pulpit was anemic. It was feel-good preaching. Um, and they became professional in the Christian genre. And now it's a black eye to Jesus Christ. You know, but most of us knew that it, wasn't, it was never a good thing to begin with, uh, but it had to take some scandals for that to happen. You know, one of the main pastors went on Oprah and The View, and he had a chance to share the gospel, and he blew it. But you found out later that he was with a woman while his wife was at home, and he was telling the woman he was with, oh, I'm a single guy. It's like, dude, you're famous. You don't think she could look that up and find that out? So, so they fired him. Oh, <laughs> No kidding. Um, but this is what you have. You have, we have to be careful about being humble and being used by the Lord and everything we do has to glorify Him, not us. Amen? And this is why people are turned off by Christianity. It's really not Christianity because they see things that are hypocritical. This stuff is out there. So five out of five is God wants to use us for His glory. And here's an interesting thing, isn't it? Peter is, is, he's, you know, Jesus was, I don't know, you want to say the word cloaked, uh, camouflaged. He was God the Son. He was fully God, but he had a physical body. He had skin, he had hair, he slept, he ate. So it, it took a while for the disciples to realize that it, he was fully God and fully man. So when he realizes Jesus is fully God, he sees this miracle, he falls down at his feet. And Jesus says something interesting, don't be afraid. Wow. And you see this with Isaiah. You see this, remember, with Mary in the early days of, of the Gospel of Luke. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I'm not here to hurt you, the angel says. I'm, you know, God wants to use you in a great way. So what we can do is, some people in, in our culture, people are so disrespectful for the things of God. Our culture is decadent. But on the other end of the spectrum is walking around, God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt. That's why I walked away from religion when I was younger. Because that's a religious indoctrination. God says to, he says to God, the son says to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God wants us to respect him, but not be terrified of him. There's a difference. His desire is us, for us to love him 
and to receive that love in return. And that's the whole thing about a personal relationship with Christ, isn't it? Right? We respect him, but we love him. We know he loves us. So from now on, he says, you'll catch men. You'll catch men. You'll catch women. Once we establish the proper relationship with God, look at all the five steps that we covered in these short 11 verses. He wants to use us. He wants to employ us. He wants to be, us to be a part of that great harvest to save souls. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, some of you here today, um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this, and it's really not going out on a limb. When there are, there are many of you that are here because, or watching because somebody told you, or somebody asked you to come, or somebody bribed you with lunch afterwards, whatever the case may be, whatever works, you're here because you respect that person. And you're here, whether they say it or not, because that person loves you. That person loves you. They're concerned about your eternity, want you to know Jesus the way they know Jesus. You know, when I was invited to church, I realized there was another cop. We don't talk about love. I knew he loved me. And, and that was the spark that started me to what ended up here. You know, when I ask people to come to church, when I send them a video, it's because I love them. So this is what happens. You know, J. Vernon McGee said, quote, every pulpit is a fishing boat. It's a place to give out the word of God and catch fish. And some, some Christians come to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm shy. I'm a little bit awkward about sharing and doing evangelism. I'm like, don't worry about it. Just love them and bring them to church with you. I'll do the rest, you know what I'm saying? We all have a gift. Um, but it, it's kind of a cool thing. Some people do. They go out and they, they share Christ with their family and friends in a non-aggressive manner, uh, in a loving manner, and it, that's an exciting thing. So fishing or fishing, what's the difference? Well, whatever you're good at, God can use your gifts for his glory, and it gets better. When you become a believer... Not only does God endow us from birth with natural gifts, we all have natural gifts in this room, but when you become a believer, he does a supernatural work and he endows you with spiritual gifts. And this is in many Romans, 1 Corinthians, many places in the Bible. There's dozens of them. And you know what the beauty is when you start to grow in your faith in Christ and you, maybe through a mature believer, maybe through a sermon, you start to understand what those spiritual gifts are. And you're like, wow. I have natural ability. Now I have sort of a, a spiritual ability on top of that. But again, he wants you to do the work of the kingdom. And that's exciting. If you think you can't be used by God or you think this isn't for you, think about Peter. Think about Peter. You know? Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. But Jesus didn't hesitate to call Peter to have him step up to be used in the things of God. Do we have any excuses for not coming to the Lord and being used by Him? Folks, this world is a sinking ship, right? Honestly, is there any country that you could go to today that's utopia? The world leaders, our leaders, nobody seems to know what to do about anything at this point. It's depressing. But Christ's kingdom is coming. And when we go through communion, when 2,000 years ago when He spent that time with His disciples, He told them He was going to come a second time. The Old Testament scriptures told us he was going to come the first time and the second time. When he was here, he basically said, I'm paraphrasing, don't forget about the rest of it. I'm coming back. Just like I came the first time, I'm going to come a second time. A lot of churches don't preach this, but it's right in the scripture. It's right in the Lord's teaching. 
So if he called Peter, who was a self-admitted sinner, he can call and use all of us to catch fish for the kingdom of heaven. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.